This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Dune by Gale Force 9. Episode 121 Dune Learning the Fremen. Music by Brian Capillus. Hosted by Hunter Donaldson and Matt Martins. Hunter, I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna lead something off here. Uh, okay. This is this is gonna be fun. This is a fun thing for you. Um, so people don't know it yet, but they're gonna know it now. I'm having a baby. I'm having oh my a baby God. soon. Yeah, Hunter, I'm telling them. And also, I'm telling you for the first time. We found out the gender. I'm having a little baby girl. In oh my June, God! In mid oh to late God. June, Hunter's literally hearing that for the first time. Oh, I didn't you're all know hearing that. It. Isn't this a fun way to start the episode? I've been waiting oh, to do this all so week. That's so cool. Oh my God! <laughs> oh, that's wild, Matt. I can't. How dare you? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, gotcha. Put I me. Wanted, I wanted to hear it. I needed it. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, that's. I mean, that's what you, you wanted a, a girl one, right? That's what you wanted for. Well, it was either girl or it was throw it out. I yeah. don't know. Give it up. Oh, Somebody dear. else is taking it. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 how Matt plays it. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. I'm uh I'm pr- pretty blown away by that. Um, yeah. and also annoyed that you know you kind of put. <laughs> That I, I like, I'm a very, like, I like to keep myself together when I'm recording, right. sure. whenever I'm, I'm doing stuff. I'm not giving her a chance to really emote here. Yeah, and uh, and so, yeah, I just feel kind of uh, kind of called out weirdly. Um, and so, what I'm, I'm curious how you plan to um, ruin my daughter for me. What? that's how all my friends are. All my, fr- all my friends for years have been plotting of, like, okay, Matt, when you have a child, we get to ruin its brain against you. Like, we get to work it against you. We get to, you know, subterfuge and and turn your child yeah uh, into one of our pawns so i'm curious where that works for you i'm not really sure where you're getting all of that from but the uh, conversations you have all held in front of me about <laughs> about my eventual well, child i don't think you're and supposed what sean to... and shelton want to you know convince the child of right um so i i'll say this i don't think i'm gonna have to do anything specific you know i've <laughs> i've got cool uncle written all over me top to bottom and i'm just gonna i'm i'm gonna play it i'm just gonna play it how i play it you know what i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do anything in particular i'm not gonna be like sean and shelton and like you know give uh your kid like literature you know because like (laughs) god knows you're not gonna let it read anything you know like you're you're just gonna be like you're gonna be like oh game of thrones is cool to read and then and then she'll be like oh anything else you want to make some beer with me but yeah uh and then you know and then i'll just be like the cool fun uncle who's funny and then and then your 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 daughter will be like why doesn't he have any kids uh and you'll be like well it's because he is better at not making mistakes oh Oops. Ooh, oh, wow I'm kidding. that's, I'm that's super weird stoked. you're gonna have to well <laughs> it would be a mistake for you to have a child oh that, okay interesting <laughs> Well, that's it. This is a great start to this episode. Just kind of started, and then you you punch me with niceness, and then you punch me with with meanness. Turn it around. I gotta yeah. I gotta keep you even. Gotta you, keep you regular. Yeah, yeah. It's like you 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 gave me a little sweet little chocolate, and then as I was eating it, you slapped me in the face. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's wild, man. Uh, I'm I, I I don't really see how daughters uh, tie into to Dune or the Fremen. Right, that's gonna be tricky. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It should be noted. Uh, this is we. So we'll get into Gen Con stuff here coming up soon. Like a lot of the Gen Con announcements are actually like you are. You just uh, you probably just missed the window on getting your hotel for Gen Con. By the way, Gen Con tickets are on sale. We'll have like. Oh my god, stuff. do we have our hotel figured out? Yeah, we did that a while ago together. Remember? Oh, Anyways, okay. <laughs> um, regardless, <laughs> I'm like on the verge of having a panic a attack. Okay, like you really. St- you turned this on, and I'm so glad this is an episode that you wrote because I I'm useless now. You told yeah. me that was such uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just gonna be quietly me. crying here, just in like weird <laughs> with weird feelings and stuff. But go um, ahead and drive. Anyways, but. my month my my child is born a month before Gen Con, so Gen Con's right. gonna be real weird for me. Uh, like in terms of am I going? I don't know this year. This will be weird. We'll we'll come up with it. Uh, I know we've put together our live show uh event thing for gen con we don't we don't know the timing of it we don't get to know that for a while it, the, the system is very weird but we definitely want people to come to the live show and i hope i get to go <laughs> yeah i mean if if you don't go i think me and ej have got, got this yeah, but you got it but uh i think we can make it work well where you get to probably. go i think probably. so well, today we've got another Dune guide. This will be number four out of six on the factions. So we're we're over the hump of Dune uh, faction guides. Uh, I call them. I, I say faction guide. It's, it hasn't really been that. It's been uh, a just kind of starter. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the learning it. So uh, today's Fremen, and I took a little bit more of the lead on this one. So you're going to be hearing a lot from me. Um, so I think we should dive straight into uh, dive straight into it. What do yeah, you say? Yeah, let's Hunter? let's ride the worm. <laughs> <laughs> let's ride the worm baby uh so to kick things off the uh fremen uh just as the overview of kind of what all they start with you get to pick you're the only faction in the game that gets to pick where your starting units go and you get to choose between ch Tabur, false wall south and false wall west you have 10 forces that you get to distribute between those three um spaces so uh, we'll talk about it more later, but basically one of these spaces is much better than the other. Others, one of them is is fine, and one of them is like we're not we're not putting anything there. We're never going to worry about it. Oh yeah, keep it Forget secret. It exists for now. Though. Um. So then you also obviously have ten in your reserves for a total of twenty. You start with three spice, which turns out Boo. super duper bad. That's not bad. Great. <laughs> uh, you have what I'm going to say are the best leaders in the game numerically. Benny Gesserit has you has you beat, right? They have the best team. They're all fives. So numerically, they add up to like 25. But you add up to like 23. You have a seven, a six, a five, a three, and a two. So between the seven, six, and five, you literally tie or are better than every single other faction's leaders. Uh, plus one that is definitely better. Your seven, far out, Stilgar exceeds everyone else at the table. So you have the best leaders. This is something we're going to lean on pretty heavily. Um, you also get three free. You're the only faction who gets three free revival uh, every turn. Everyone else is either two or one, and you get three free revivals, uh, which is fine. It's it's good. It's fine. Um, it is added to the list of basically things that Fremen gets to do for free, uh, which that list kind of keeps growing as we go yeah. through all of these different yeah. abilities. Uh, next up, so you you have basically all of their abilities are just slight adjustments to all the normal rules uh, in shipment. You get free shipment if you are shipping to the Great Flat 
or within two of the Great Flat. So a pretty wide region there. I mean, that's that is like a third of the map, if not a little bit more than a third of the map uh, that you just ship to for free. So uh, you don't care about the Spacing Guild. Uh, this isn't really included uh, in in like the wording. You kind of have to catch this. But your units, your your units and reserves start on the other side of the planet Arrakis, Dune. Uh, so what that means is you also never pay the Spacing Guild when you ship. Even if you're shipping somewhere where you would be paying, you don't pay the Spacing Guild because you're not paying for off-planet shipping. That's yeah. a weird thing that took me a long time to realize was was a factor. That's one um, of those things that makes more sense if you think about it thematically. thematically like why would you right. play why would you pay the spacing guild to just move around on the planet From you the already planet. live on? Right. Um so this shipment is uh very good. Uh it's kind of probably the best thing about you uh because it's just a huge thing that you get to do for free. Uh it also lets you focus your money on other things besides shipment. Uh, you, you get to focus in on getting cards, which we're going to talk a lot about cards. You need them very badly, and you don't have much uh, money, to, especially to start off with. So uh, getting buying cards, uh, it's good that your money basically only needs to be focused on that one thing, because otherwise you would be broke all game for sure. Uh, the other thing is you get to just like dump all of your dudes at once if you want to, which is really great for timing attacks or you're, you you can be pretty good at holding uh, territory basically like because you can just like hold the whole eastern side of the map more or less whenever you want to uh, you just drop all the dudes there and 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 yeah they, they, they can basically the Fremen this is the first focus of like Fremen are very positionally based whereas everybody else is doing freaky stuff with their weirdo abilities Fremen is just like get on the map be where you need to be get the stuff and win the game mm -hmm. right that that is kind of the Fremen's main thing they're they're not very tricky Next up, uh, man, Fremen have Fremen have many individual abilities. Turns out, uh, so the next one is an adjustment to movement. Uh, your movement, you get to move two spaces, no matter uh, no matter what, instead of just one. Whereas everybody else can move one, and then when they have ornithopters, they can move three. You can use two, which kind of then just means like you don't really care about ornithopters. You could go get ornithopters and then move three, but you're already moving two. Why waste the time like really struggling to get Carthag or Arakeen? Um, and you can't ship to Carthag or Arakeen for free. So why not ship somewhere for free and then move to uh, for free is, is kind of the general idea with, with Fremen. You can pretty much hit a huge portion of the map by shipping to the limits of how far you can ship and then moving two away from that. That is, that is most of the map that you get to get to. Um, so it's very rare that you care about ornithopters in any sense. The next ability is uh, Shai Halud. Um, essentially, the worms on Arrakis, they don't yep. eat you. They refuse to eat you. Um, <laughs> you're stinky, so they're like, ugh, pee you. Um, and you can ride them around. So, I mean, you've got this extra movement, but also you kind of randomly get to just go wherever you need, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way it works is uh, anytime the worm does pop up in a nexus... Uh, well, the, the, the worm pops up, then you do a nexus, and then when the nexus is done, you get to ride the sandworm to any other territory uh, that is sand, right? Right. Um, so uh, you can get pretty much all over the map, and then uh, from there, move again during the shipment phase, right? So this is like your one little catch-all to get onto the other side of the map that normally you don't have much range to. Just another reason you just don't need ornithopters. Right. Um, the other advantage this gives you is you get to just like go for spice because the only 
place that the worm is going to hit is where the spice just landed in this last turn. And everybody else always has that fear of like, okay, I'm going to go for the spice, but if the worm hits, uh-oh, that's going to suck. And for you, not only does it not suck, but it is actually kind of great and one of the better things that can happen to you in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and combined with your very, very good leaders and like not being afraid of the risk of it and other players being afraid of the risk of the worm, sometimes you can go to where the spice is and somebody else will just be like, it's not worth it. I don't want to have to fight Stilgar and then also maybe lose my units to the worm. Yeah. Um, so you being the first one to get to a spice blow a lot of times can just let you, mean you lock it down and nobody else even tries to fight you for it. Um, I want to, one thing I want to, ask a question on uh, I, I i don't know the answer to this if you ride the worm to a location that already has uh someone else's forces on it does the worm eat those forces when it drops you off essentially uh no i think you just get to move uh it doesn't say anything about the worm like eating everything in its path or whatever like eating it places in the in the destination okay uh, it's just a matter of you end up there uh, and get dropped off. I, cool. if, if that's not true, please let us know. That would be a weird errata. <laughs> I, I also want to uh, add something to what you were saying. Like, uh, Always remember, though, if we're talking hunting spice, that early on your treachery card hand is probably not going to be very good. So you got to be careful about other factions maybe jumping on you early yeah. if they have better treachery cards than you. Right. You know what? And earlier I said uh, you only move to sand territories, and I think that is technically wrong because uh, the, the wording is uh, you move some or all forces in the territory to any territory subject to storm and occupancy rules so you can you can drop anywhere I think the big difference here is you, you do have occupancy rules you don't get to go somewhere where somebody else is so it's very rare that you're going to be able to just drop your people into a stronghold uh, oh but it's but it says storm rules too which I feel like would mean that you can't go where the storm doesn't affect no, I think that's just no? saying that's just saying that you can't go into into the storm into the storm without well you have some storm rules of your own later we'll get to them but yeah generally speaking you 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 can't really go through the storm interesting uh, even with the worm so uh, it, it's kind of a weird crazy ability and honestly it really only comes up every once in a while because not only does it have to be after a nexus which you know there's what maybe three or four of those a game kind of maybe more um, but. Uh, you have to be hit by it for it to even do anything for you. So it's right. it's a cool ability, but it's not like something you're ever relying on. It's just something that you get to take advantage of if it does happen. The yeah. way you're relying on it is the the lack of fear of being hit by a worm when you're going out for, for spice. That's the number one advantage it grants you. It's just like, ooh, I get to go jump on spice kind of whenever I want. And the last of the basic abilities is you have a special Fremen victory condition. Uh, and it is, it's wackadoodle. It's crazy. Uh, so I'm just going to read it all word for word because it's kind of uh, hard to grasp. And you kind of even have to be looking at a map of Dune for it to, un to make any sense. But if no faction has won by the end of the last turn, and if you or no one occupies Siech Tabur and Habanya Siech, and neither Harkonnen, Atreides, nor the Emperor occupies Tuix Siech, your plans to alter Dune have succeeded, and you and any allies win the game. So you need the whole eastern side of the board completely clear, and you need that southwestern city. I say south, whatever. I know it's all in the... <laughs> I get it. Thank you. But if I'm just looking relative to the map, the southwestern portion of the map, that stronghold, uh, you just don't want three of the other members at the table to be there. Uh, and then you win. Uh, which is a weird way to put that. Oh, yeah, if this happens and this happens and then this and this and this happens, then you just win. Um, 
So it's very, it, it's a weird one, but you actually can kind of rely on it. And if anything, I'm going to argue you do kind of lean into this until the moment that you don't, which is to say uh, Fremen is a little bit of a stalling faction. You're just trying to hit everybody because you've, you've got kind of this this fun, crazy mobility and, you know, a lot of free shipment. And as long as you can get cards to back up your very good leaders, you are way better at shutting other people's victories down than setting up your own, which means you do kind of lean into just pushing the game out to its very, very final round and winning this way. It's just that winning this way can be kind of tricky if you're on your own and also fairly tricky in most alliances. We'll talk about that later. Uh, But the bigger thing is that it is specifically harder than the spacing guilds. (laughs) The spacing guilds is the same exact thing as yours, except for without all the weird qualifiers. So that that's sort of explaining kind of like how strange this this ability is. Yeah. So the next ability that they have is called storm rule. Um, So essentially they get to peek at where the storm is going to go before it goes there. So they can like basically plan out. It just is just kind of goes further with their other abilities to say that the Fremen basically get to hunt for spice however they want um, because they know where the storm is going to go. Yeah, you are are still kind of afraid of the storm, but the fact that it is a known variable to you means other people would be like, this one's like within four of the storm. I don't know if that's going to be safe, and you never have that issue. You just know exactly where the storm is going to hit, so uh, you definitely just go for all the spice that you know isn't going to get hit, Um, but it's going to combo with a later rule called storm losses uh, that I'll talk about here in a second to make it where there's even some situations where you're like, you know what? I know the storm's going to hit me, but I kind of don't care. I'm going to go for it anyways. Right. Well, yeah, so I feel like storm losses is basically for the weather control ability. So even if for some reason the storm were to move uh, in in a way that you did not expect, then you still still don't even really take that many losses. Right. Yeah, the Fremen's whole theme is like, everybody's got stuff, but none of it works as good against you because right. you're from here. You you know how all of this world works, so all the stuff doesn't work as good against yeah, you. You're familiar. Uh, uh, your next one is a Sandworms ability, uh, and this, this one's another super specific, basically like caveat to a rule, which is if there is a... Uh, uh, during a spice blow, all additional Sandworms that appear after the first Sandworm can be placed by you in any sand territory you wish. Any forces there except yours are devoured. Um, So this is where I was getting kind of the the being in a sand territory thing only uh, mixed up. But any second, third, fourth, etc. sandworms, you get to just decide where they go instead of them hitting the same spice blow again or whatever. You, You get to dictate where they go, which means you can use this in two different ways, right? You can hit your own units with the sandworm and then ride the worm to get this crazy bonus movement, or you can catch someone's forces out of position and go kill all their units with a sandworm. So it's got two pretty useful uses, uh, except for you don't really, it just randomly happens. Like the chances of getting two sandworms in a single spice blow are, you know, few and far between. So another thing that is fun, but you don't, you're not ever relying on this. Yeah, that's like two abilities they have now that are like RNG based yeah. that, I mean, like the... The Shai Halut ability of like the worm coming to you and then you get to ride it. I mean, you, you'll you have plenty of games where that doesn't even happen to you, much right. less this for sure. Right. right. Uh, next up is that ability we were saying earlier, Storm Losses. Uh, storm Losses, if your forces are caught in a storm, only half of them are killed. Any fractions are rounded up. 
uh, you may also bring your reserves into a storm at half loss. So basically, you can go through storms and you just lose half your units. Uh, this is one of those things that is... Uh, you're not going to use it for a lot of the game, but you might use it to win the game. Right. Uh, this this is like a the final round thing of it's it's very costly to go like through the storm, but if it means you're attacking Arakeen when no one else can go to Arakeen and you get to just take it with a big force, that that's like a game winning move right there. Or maybe maybe it's not the last move, but it's like this is my only opportunity to knock out Arakeen or Carthag or something. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. better jump on it now. So it's definitely another can be crazy useful, but a lot of the times you're just like not even going to see it come up. You're not going to see the opportunities for why you should do it. Uh, but the other big thing is because you know where the storm's going to hit and you're always out there hunting for spice. Sometimes you just let the storm wash over you and yeah, okay, I lost two units. I'll be okay. Uh, I get three for, you know, back for free. It's not a big deal. I feel like this ability can be really cool. And this is another just kind of like, well, I mean, sometimes this will happen. Sometimes this won't. But if the shield wall has been blown up. Right. And the, um, you know, that it, once the shield wall is blown up, then the Imperial Basin and Arakeen and Carthag are affected by the storm. That means effectively when the storm is over, Carthag or Arakeen, it's closed off to everybody yep. except you, basically. Right. right. Yeah, it can be it can be huge in the in the pace of the game. This that you know, late game after the wall has blown up, this ability is probably a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> than up until that point. Um, and the other thing too to to mention is combining this ability with Benny Gesserit's uh, advisor ability, you two are the only two that can flip units during the storm. So we already mentioned that you can do it, but it's kind of an interesting little synergy you have with Benny Gesserit where both of you can launch these kinds of in the storm attacks. Uh, which we're going to put into the bucket of, hey, that's probably a pretty good advantage to ally with Benny Gesserit. Uh, but we'll talk about the alliances here in a bit. Uh, okay, we're not done, though. There are still more abilities. This is like the biggest list of abilities. Of yeah, any it's fashion. ridiculous. Maybe, many, yeah. maybe Benny Gesserit has as many. But uh, our next one is Fadaiken. Uh, Fadaiken are, you have these three special units that have a little star on them, and those units are... Uh, they count as two. They are worth two normal forces in battle and in taking losses, and they are treated as one force in revival. So you you get them back fairly cheaply. The the one caveat there is only one Fadiken force can be revived per turn. So you get them back fairly slowly, but you don't even have that many. It's not like the biggest deal um, in the world to lose one. You, you, you can get them back. You just generally don't want to leave them in stacks together that then they all get taken out at once. Because as long as you just like lose one you can get it back next turn and you'll never really be out of fadiken so it's not it's not the biggest deal in the world as long as you aren't putting them in the big stacks but when you do decide to put them in big stacks to then take a big major outpost or something you can combo that with your seven point leader and like you can win fights numerically a lot like that is that is your advantage it's just like i'm gonna have the better numbers a lot of the time everybody else has these little tricks to fights but you are just going to have the better raw numbers almost every time. They're they're the de facto best. Uh, they're better than the the Sardaukar or the Sardaukar, whatever, however you say Sardaukar. it. I don't, yep. I don't even care it. anymore. Um, <laughs> because the Sardaukar actually have a little exception in that yep. they they are not they are not good against the Fremen. They they don't get their so it's a right. very similar type of a, of a unit that the Emperor has this kind of two for one uh, token. But against right. you. Not as good. Doesn't work. Yep. It, their their Sardaukar only work as one unit when they fight against Fadaiken. 
Uh, next up, you have a special battle ability in the advanced rules. Uh, in the advanced rules, normally you have to pay spice to get your units to fight at full combat strength, and you don't have to do that as the Fremen. So yet another thing everyone else is spending money on that you are not spending money on. So yeah, you start super broke in this game, but there is literally only one thing in the game that you need to spend money on, and it yeah. is cards. And if However, you get those I, I, cards... I, I want to say this, though. Because yeah. I this I whenever we were we're writing this, and if you're looking at this list of abilities, you might be feeling like, "Wow, Fremen is pretty cool." I mean, right. like they basically that they, yeah, they're poor. They're the poor people, but they don't need they don't need money, right? Except for treachery cards, I would say are the most clutch one of the most yeah. clutch aspects of the entire right. game. Right, Very and important. that can that can shut you out of a lot of things in the game if you just don't get a good hand. Uh, you you can go four rounds without a good hand as Fremen, and that that's too many rounds, right? Yeah. I mean that yes. that is way too many rounds to not have a good hand. So it's it's actually very very important that you find a way to get good cards, uh, and that's why you kind of do need to be fairly aggressive early on with these forces, getting these Fadiken out on the board, getting everything into good positions, picking up a lot of spice, because you have got to get some income so that you can buy good cards. Uh, and 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 this is just kind of. This is the way of the Fremen, uh, is is fighting for everything you need, tooth and nail. This is the way? Is that this what you're saying? This is the way. <laughs> this yep. is the way. Okay. All right. Um, little their crossover Karama, episode. I, I, I always hate talking about Karama cards because I just think they're just wacky as heck. But uh, Fremen's is, I'm, I'm not going to do the thing that we've been doing where we're just like, I don't know. Doesn't seem that great. Doesn't seem like a great Karama ability. No, I'll, I'll do I'm, it for you. Okay, go ahead. It doesn't seem that great, but go ahead and describe it. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the Karama ability for the Fremen is you get a Sandworm token, and when you play the ability, when you play the Karama, you get to drop that Sandworm token um, wherever you want in a sand territory. Um, and it basically works the same way any other worm ever works. If you drop it on yourself, you get to ride the worm. If you don't drop it on yourself, you can you know, you can go kill somebody else's outpost. It's the exact same situation as before, except for this time, you have control over it. Mm -hmm. Every other worm is just like a random chance that it popped up. But this is like your one worm that you get to use how you want to use it. Um, this can have some major implications, in my opinion. Uh, it's obviously great. When you need to just like, oh shoot, someone, you know, let's say, let's say, uh, Harkonnen attacks, uh, Atreides at Arakeen and they both kind of wipe each other out. And now Arakeen is like super undefended, but you're very far from Arakeen. If you have a Karama, you can play that Karama and move all of your units very, very close to Arakeen. And now, you can uh, use your two movement to get into Arakeen when it was weakly defended or whatever. This is kind of your your clutch. How do I get to the other side of the map at a moment's notice? Oh, I can use a worm real quick, and I don't have to rely on chance happening. So it's it's a major way to turn a bad position into a win. Uh, and the other thing that you can do with it is you you can if someone else is out there, you can block someone else from getting the spice they need. If someone went after some spice, you can play that Karama card and. Uh, and kill all their units and and remove all the spice. You know, if, if you weren't able to beat them there or you did fight them there and then they beat you, you can just play the Karama and wipe them out and keep, you know, Harkonnen from getting that last few bucks that mm -hmm. they desperately needed to improve their next round or whatever. I want to remind anybody that might be listening and excited about 
like maybe you're less familiar with the game, but you just heard us describe this and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's great. Um, you can only place the sandworm token in a sand territory. Right. So right. You, it's you, not just anywhere. You got to. It's not a you nuke. You can drop it. wherever you want. Right. You can basically only the only time you're ever really going to get to use it is when people have, you know, forces kind of stranded out in the sand that aren't really doing anything, which are kind yeah. of that the, those forces are going to be vulnerable regardless to all kinds of stuff, including your Karama, obviously. Um or like when somebody's hunting for spice. Right. So I don't know. I think we're fair in saying this one isn't that good. And I am. I, uh, I think I think it's door an, open. I just think it's one of those situations where it's like it's generally going to be kind of like eh, maybe you'll use it as like any of the other normal Karama abilities. But I do see an excuse for holding on to this one until the late game to make it your like last big push. Um, especially as a stopgap for if you are just trying to hold out for a final round scenario and you need to go, you know, somebody else screwed it up on the other side of the table and, oh, shoot, it looks like Harkonnen is going to win. This might be your, your way to get in there before they're able to, to steal a victory. Right? Yeah. You, you can you can get across the map very, very fast and, and do what you need to do. Yeah. So I, I think it can come in super big handy for sure uh, when, when the moment arises but like through the first like five rounds it's probably not it's not something i mean the free movement alone is is pretty cool and i yeah. mean karama cards what you just play them whenever whenever it's appropriate i guess right. uh right. so like yeah you could you could be like oh i've got my i, I need to take this last uh this last stronghold uh, you move your your fremen out of a, your current stronghold into a sand thing drop a sandworm and then move them you know teleport you know what's them a wherever. fun stupid other use of this thing yeah uh you could you could uh move you could ship into a territory with sand or i mean with uh with um uh some spice and then you could worm some of those units out of that spice Oh wait! And, I just tricked myself. Nope, because the worm's gonna kill the spice. Yeah, the worm's gonna eat the spice, it. so you yeah. don't get to double spice up. That would have been fun. Oh, well. that would have been cool. <laughs> well, but you can't do it that way. Oh well. Yeah. Um, also, right, uh, here's something I just read that I that I forgot. Uh, you can only use your character's special Karama power one time. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, that. Even if you get more Karamas, yeah, man, Karamas are like this weird, broken part of the game that's just like, why is none of this explained better? Yeah, <laughs> you just like have to have definitely memorized the Karama stuff because nothing on the Karama card is going to remind you of any of this. This freaking um, rule book. <laughs> this freaking thing. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the alliance uh, that Fremen can offer. We have talked about it in three different games or in three different factions so far, and generally we have been kind of like, oh well, not sure why you need to ally up with the Fremen. But let's let's like dig a little bit deeper into what the Fremen actually have to offer. Um, so, as an alliance, you may decide to protect or not protect your allies. I, from I love being that, little, that little that little parenthesis <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, protect your allies from being devoured by sandworms, and at your discretion, may also allow them to revive three forces for free during revival. In addition, your allies win with you if you win with the special Fremen victory condition. So that's three different things, Hunter. That's three things that you get to do with the Fremen. Yeah, but like, I do, not, so I, I do not like that sentence, may also allow them to revive three forces right. for free during revival. It should say up to three, or like, you know what I mean? Like, right. you, you can't, clear you can't get more saying. than three revivals right. unless you're allied with the Emperor even though I could totally see someone reading that sentence and saying, oh, that means I can get three extra right. for free, which is awesome, but that's not what it means. It's not. Let's talk about that. It doesn't even work out more. to three ever. Like, it's right. never... It never gonna... works out. Yeah, it's, it is It is mostly kind of a 
a useless ability. Uh, so so the, here's how it works out. Uh, Atreides and Harkonnen both uh, refresh one, right? They get to revive one for free. Because they already I mean, get, they get two I'm, for free. I'm, I'm saying it backwards. I have my notes written down. Yeah. They revive two for free, which means you're only netting them one more per right. round. Right, right. Whoop-de-doo. Benny Gesserit, Space and Guild, and Emperor all revive one, which means you're increasing them by two, that's better, but at the end of the day, it's still only up to three. When you when you compare that to the Emperor's ability of like, hey, you did three, here's three more, that's huge. Right. Um, so so the Fremen's leaves something to be desired. And I want to um, say that, all- for the record, the, the, the three that get two for free as... as- uh, compared to one, are the richer factions that right. don't need the like the help. Right. They don't even care maybe Benny Jesuit, you know, yeah. not as rich as the other two, but still pretty decent. Yeah. Um, so that second ability, stopping the worms. Well, we've gone over the worm stuff quite a bit so far. It's it's random. That's just a thing that sometimes happens. What what you are giving them access to is the ability to also go for spice a little bit more uninhibited, right? Um, but also, they can't necessarily trust that. You might be a bad ally and be like, nope, I'm not protecting you from the worm. Right, yeah, the Screw fact that you, you don't have to uh, <laughs> yeah. is maybe kind of cool, but also is like kind of not cool because right. like, it, who wants to ally with you? Like that yeah. you don't even have to protect them. Yeah. And the last one, the Fremen special victory is the weirdest special victory condition and basically useless for everyone except for Benny Gesserit. Uh Essentially, nobody can take advantage of your special victory condition except for Benny Gesserit. So let's talk more about that. Let's let's get into how do each of the factions feel about you as one of their allies, and how much do you want them as an ally? So uh, in uh, we we did these kind of in order. We're going to start with your best one. Your best bud is the Benny Gesserit. And there's actually, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have worked out a theme with yeah, the Benny Gesserit and alliances, the <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and honestly, I think there is a, is a kind of an extra special consideration for Bene Gesserit towards Fremen, right? In every situation, yeah, everybody wants Bene Gesserit, but I really do feel like Bene Gesserit gains some decent stuff from Fremen here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe we compare that to other abilities and it doesn't shake out, but from, from Bene Gesserit's perspective, well, they like the two extra revivals. That is useful. That's good. Um, they can't advisor you anyways. You ship from on planet and they get to place advisors when people ship from off planet. So you are already a thorn in their side using the ability they want to use. So they might as well ally with you to be able to use their advisors to their maximum capacity. And they are very, very good at hurting people and stopping people winning. And they are the only faction that uh, can can benefit from your special victory condition. Um, because they are basically the only faction that can can go hold 2XCH for you while you hold the other two, between the two of you holding just those three territories, if, the, if you two held those three territories all game, no one else could ever win and you could lock out a victory. You, there's no point really in doing that with Space and Guild because Space and Guild you just need to get to the end of the game anyways. It doesn't specifically matter that they hold 2XCH. Uh, and everybody else can't hold to exceed, which means you can't lock that down. You 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 can't fulfill your condition very easily with them as your ally. Benny Gesserit is the only one that helps you with this. So the two of you together have a very clear plan. Whereas everybody else, when you ally with someone, it's like, okay, we're kind of like waiting for an opportunity. When you ally with the Benny Gesserit, it's like, okay, we're doing exactly this until some other opportunity comes up. But we like have an exact plan in motion. And I think that is something really reliable and good for the Benny Gesserit to latch onto. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I just, the only thing I want to point out here 
I I feel like everything you're saying makes sense, and I feel like we're kind of doing a little bit of a matchmaker thing where we're trying to get like the nerd to date, you know. Yeah. Or maybe I'll I'll do it backwards. We're trying to get uh, you know, a nerdy poetry girl to date <laughs> the jock, the coolest right. jock in 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 the school. And the Benny Gesserit is the jock, which I think makes the comparison more difficult. The, I, I think <laughs> I think this all makes so much sense. It's just that Benny Gesserit gets their pick of the litter. They're yeah, the they're the they bell really of the do. ball. Um, well, let, it's worth going over from your perspective of what does Benny Gesserit offer you. Um, and the biggest thing, and it's what Benny Gesserit offers everybody, but it's that battles become a breeze. The voice is just this ridiculously good ability. They get to tell someone that they are not allowed to play you know, the only attack card that you don't have an answer to, which means you can basically prevent your leaders from ever being destroyed. And as the Fremen, right. this is especially desirable. Well, and it can losing make... Stilgar is a big deal. Exactly. Well, and also it, it makes your, you know, it takes a long time. It probably takes the longest time for Fremen to build up a solid hand as compared to all the other factions. Yeah. And the voice is going to help your crummy hand be viable more early, basically. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and as we said earlier, uh, the two of you are the only two that can sneak into a storm territory. Um, so if, if the storm is sitting on top of Arakeen and the two of you have locked everything else down, you could actually make an opportunity strike at Arakeen when no one else can and maybe just win outright that way. So you mm-hmm. kind of have this extra little thing that you both can do. Um, but I, I still think the bigger thing is that the two of you are just very, very good at denying other people territories um so you you, you're just both very good at stalling and it gives you a really reliable uh source of direction yeah yeah so next up uh next up i don't i don't really want to put these next two in any particular order Uh, i've seen back and forth on which one is better um i'm I'm just gonna even say both of them atreides and emperor to me are on basically the same bar personally for how i feel like i play fremen I like Emperor a little bit more, but there are a lot of really good arguments for Atreides that are hard to ignore. Um, So let's start with Atreides. Um, So from Atreides' perspective, gaining the Fremen abilities, uh, the revival isn't a very useful benefit. You're, You're getting one more per round. That's nothing. But what you are gaining is a a a a partner who is very willing to go on the offensive for you, right? Fremen is mobile. Fremen's going out there and getting spice. Uh, it gives you the ability to go out there and get spice, which you kind of need as a Atreides. Like if, if you need money somewhere, being able to just go jump on spice and not being afraid of the worm is very helpful. The Fremen can tell you if the storm is coming up. Um, so, so the Atreides gets to be a little bit more reckless and they get to be allied with someone who can be very reckless if they want to be. I um, can, can I add a little note to this and say that I, I also think positionally it just makes sense. Yeah. The fact definitely. that Atreides is like, all right, I've got ornithopters locked down at Arakeen. I need to keep Arakeen. Uh, and then the Fremen can just basically do everything else. And both of you can basically move better than everybody else. Um, yeah. It's obviously everything we're about to say is also true of the Harkonnen. But right. the flip side of that is... The Atreides have way better abilities. So from your perspective, uh, the the Atreides abilities actually help you win fights uh, versus Harkonnen uh, basically doesn't at all. Um, so the, the Atreides ability to... Um, you know, have the opponent show one thing from their battle plan gives the Fremen a pretty major combat advantage. So when you ally with the Atreides, you are going for that normal victory. You're not trying to stall out because the Atreides are not going to help you because they can't hold to Ixich. They can't help you there. Um, but the two of you could push for 
Carthag, Arakeen, and both of the territories in the east, or something like that, right? There, you, you as the Fremen basically can take any of the other three territories and pick two and probably find a way to lock them down. And then all Atreides has to focus on is stealing Carthag, and the two of you can win outright. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from So, so I, I think that's the biggest thing is, as Fremen, for me, I think you're always starting in the headspace of how do I stall this game out for as long as possible, and shifting that into a, ooh, I can actually push for the win if I'm allied with Atreides is cool, but is, it, to me, it's always a risk. Yeah. It's always kind of a scary proposition, which is why I'm, I'm like, it sounds cool, but it always makes me nervous. I think my pushback is just that I think if, well, like, for example, like, let's say you've got um, a solid hand uh, right. in the mid game as Fremen. I feel like Atreides loses a couple points for that. I think you're a great early game ally. And then also, this is highly dependent on Atreides' position on the board, which they don't recover that well from being kicked off the board, Atreides. Right. So right. I, I feel like I don't like them as much as the next ally we're going to talk about. Yeah. So Emperor, uh, we're putting kind of on the same level, but I, yeah, I just think Emperor is cooler and more fun. Um, I think the biggest thing is Emperor seems like they have more to gain from you if you if you sell it the right way. Um, so the revival is more useful for em- Emperor, and especially vice versa. You get your three for free, and then Emperor can buy three for you. So from both perspectives, the two of you can just start pumping out units. Uh, from the Emperor's perspective, uh, they don't. Uh, we talked about the Sardaukar thing. So if you are allied, they're never running up against your Fadaikin. Their Sardaukar will always be at maximum fighting strength, which uh, that, that definitely has a benefit. I want to put a little note on that rule, though. That actually that actually doesn't apply to just Fadaikin, though. That's literally just against the Fremen. The Sardaukar, just in general, oh, are you. not as good. I, I actually just didn't even. Yeah, catch yeah. That, just so just that's... decided to get rid of that errata. Yeah, that, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> nice <Hunter>. try. <laughs> Next time. Uh, so the Sardaukar are just never good against uh, the Fremen. So yeah, you you just it. Why not? keep your starter car useful by not having to fight against them. Uh, and the big thing for me is, and I think that the Fremen have to sell this idea a little bit to the Emperor, but I think that when the Emperor is your ally and they give you access to more cards, they're going to help you buy a lot of cards. That is what unlocks you as the Fremen, which makes you an incredibly powerful ally. Basically, you say to the Emperor, listen, if you're my ally, I can start getting the cards I need, and that will probably make me somewhat unstoppable. Um, like the only thing that's going to be up against you is like the Atreides and the Bene Gesserit abilities, but everybody else you can probably beat in fights. Um, so I, I think you have to kind of convince the emperor of that. And especially because emperor is going to have people coming to them for allies. Right. Um, and so you're going to be fighting them off. But I, I think if you put yourself in the right position on the map, you can sell your story pretty well of like, Hey, look, look at all these units. I could be a thorn in your side or I could go be a major thorn in everybody else's side. Which would you prefer? Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah I, uh, I get that. Uh, so from your perspective, it's obviously even better. It's always even better for Fremen. Yeah, from yeah. Fremen's getting a lot Every... more out of this than everybody else is. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the big thing is cards. You need cards in a major way, uh, and they're going to help you get them essentially for free. Uh, you're going to get free cards and, and ideally good ones, and uh, that's everything you need to like kind of have the last thing that you desire. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have uh, three extra per round, three extra revivals per round, uh, giving you up to six, which means you get to go crazy 
with fights, in my opinion. Like, you can just start throwing everything at the wall. This is when you even are not afraid of the storm at all. If you're getting six revivals every single round, you just charge straight through the storm no matter where it is. You just It doesn't matter that it exists because you're you're going to lose a couple units, but you're going to get so many right back that it, it's six. just whatever. Yeah, it's it's crazy that you can get six with Emperor. Yeah. Um, I would say that maybe, maybe a way to pitch this to Emperor is that the two of you together are potent as far as controlling the spice blow. Yeah. Because if you guys both know where the storm is and the emperor has money to just ship wherever, they can right. afford to not have to ship into strongholds every time. Right. right. Uh, then the two of you can just lock that down. Now I feel like what's scarier for the emperor is shipping to places and then kind of having their troops being stuck in weird spots the the one downside obviously to all this is the same thing as every other time that your victory your special victory condition is useless with the emperor basically uh because of the same two xch problem that that is a problem with essentially everyone but benny Gesserit. so we have to it's worth mentioning that when you play with emperor you're playing for a real win not for a special victory condition i want to i want to add actually one final note to this discussion of atreides and emperor when it comes to alliances i feel yeah. like what might give atreides the edge is that I feel like it might be a little hard to make this case to the emperor. Yeah. Uh, I think there, I think there is merit to it. I just think the emperor uh, gets sought after as an ally, and you might not get access to them. Atreides, I feel like going into a game and being like, "I'm going to try an ally with Atreides." I feel like you can make that case early a lot of the times, and maybe yeah. get a lot of loyalty out of Atreides. And Atreides also helps you get cards which yeah. is your problem. Right. Uh, and if you, it, if, yeah. I like what you're saying about the early thing, too. If you can establish an early alliance with Atreides, Atreides has some excuses to kind of push hard early as well, right? They, they want to go for an early victory. So there's a world where round two it comes up, you too could push for a victory in like round three yeah. if you get the right cards and if you do everything kind of correctly. If I, I think the Atreides alliance is especially good if in rounds like one and two you get two pretty good cards and you started with a decent enough card. Like if you have if you have a, a good hand of three and Atreides has a decent hand, the two of you could could do a lot of damage in the early game when nobody else has anything else online. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, what I think is their kind of... I think this is their de facto worst. Right. Uh, although we've rated the next two uh, both kind of third yeah. place. Um, but I think that, that just like by design, these two are not meant to get along, and that is the Spacing Guild. Yeah. Yeah, the Spacing Guild is super awkward. Um, again, we've talked about the special victory thing, um, and it's basically like you're not... You're only thinking about the Spacing Guild's special victory condition when you ally with them because yours has become irrelevant. Right. Um, there's, a, there's so a, much easier to go for. Yeah. There's a lot of other really messy stuff between you and the Spacing Guild. The biggest thing to wrap your head around, and this is what took me a while myself to wrap my head around, is the Spacing Guild is all about controlling the shipping rates of people coming from outer space onto Dune. Right. And Fremen's major thematic thing is they're not from outer space. <laughs> so none of that stuff matters to them. Right. So we talked about this last time in our Spacing Guild episode, but basically you're already their last pick. None of your abilities benefit them as much as everybody else's abilities would benefit them. They just don't even so, synergize. Like there's yeah. just no, there's the opposite. There's no synergy. synergy. The revivals are kind of useful for Spacing Guild, but generally speaking, I don't think Spacing Guild is being that crazy reckless 
you know, they're they're timing their attacks right, and they're right. they're being a little well, yeah, bit yeah because their sneakier. leaders are so bad they're not encouraged to play yes. that way regardless. There's right. nothing so you can do to fix that problem for them. Right. So they're not killing a bunch. Of, they're not having a bunch of units that they have to revive quickly. And the only argument you can make to them is like, hey, I won't waste all of your money <laughs> when I ship. Like yeah. that's a lot of times I can ship for free. But that's even more reason why it's like it's not beneficial. You're not getting anything out of the relationship because you're not getting. Yes, yeah, sometimes you need to ship half price to somewhere else. But like most of the time, you can probably do a workaround where you ship inside your territory where it's for free. Um, from your own perspective, uh, you don't you don't have off planet shipping, um, so you're already not paying the fremen. You're just better working against them, basically. Like the fact that your money doesn't go into their hands when you ship is sort of an advantage of how you can work against them. Um, it, the the only time your relationship works together is when you have to get all the way on the other side of the map. And if you have a Karama card in your hand, then you don't even care about that. Like, you've, you've rendered that useless as well. Yeah. So I, I just don't see what the synergy can possibly be with these two factions. Also, if you followed our guide as far as setup, you started with a stack on the False Wall South, which is right, right next to the Spacing Guild stack on uh, 2XCH. Yeah. Um. So, I mean... The idea that you guys are like, I just feel like you guys are natural enemies, almost yeah. almost as much uh, so as Atreides and, and Harkonnen. Um, I also wanted to note something just for, for newer players that maybe don't remember this. I mean, last time we talked about Dune, we talked about the Spacing Guild, but I wanted to bring back up that the Spacing Guild special victory condition is that if no factions have been able to win at all just by the end of the game, then they... then space yeah. and guild wins so every um, time it's it it overrides yours as fremen yeah so you you literally aren't even if you are in an alliance with space and guild you aren't even working towards your special victory condition anymore you're working towards spacing guilds right which is i mean i feel like so, some people listening might be thinking like oh well who you know oh, that sounds great but then the problem is just like why would space and guild want to ally yeah. with you you know what i mean right. that that special victory condition will be true for spacing guild and their alliance regardless right so they don't need to yours basically gets canceled out and isn't a point four so yeah. so honestly this is one of those situations too where like you it's not good for you but also spacing guild has no reason to pick you so you guys are yeah. just you guys are just an awkward match you have yep. nothing for each other so let's talk more about then Harkonnen because I think Harkonnen is an easy one to say it's a bad match, but I still think Spacing Guild is worse. Uh, so Harkonnen, uh, they don't need you for the revivals. Yeah. Uh, the the fear of worms thing, you know that 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 is being abated by by your presence is kind of helpful. Um, Harkonnen struggles for cash. Um, so being able to go push on spice a little bit more, right. that has a benefit, especially early game. I would say if, if, if Atreides says no to you, maybe you fall back on Harkonnen as an ally. Um, and the bigger thing, and Hunter, you're the one who kind of pointed this out to me is it's not just that they can run for spice, but they're not competing with you over spice because yeah. of Carthag's position near where a lot of Fremen stuff is, uh, means that usually you two come to blows very often and if instead the two of you are just kind of like finding ways to 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 work the spice between you that maybe is an advantage it's maybe a disadvantage though for harkonnen right because now they have to like wheel and deal with you over the spice blows rather than just like fighting with you now yeah. they literally can't fight with you so it's like it maybe sometimes is a benefit but maybe sometimes it is literally a detriment to you it is kind of weird because it's like i would probably rather extort um, the Fremen for spice. That way, I don't even have to do anything. But I am. But it. I do feel like um, 
once Fremen gets their hand set up, I feel like Harkonnen can be a little scared of Fremen. Uh, they have the best uh, faction leaders, which is kind of, that's also another thing. That's a weird point against. Uh, Harkonnen would probably like to capture your leaders if they can. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, it's it's weird. I think the only thing that I'm going to put as to say that I, I'm, I, I obviously think it's better than Space and Guild. I don't necessarily think it's better than anybody else, but right. there's a conditional thing here of, what is Harkonnen's position like? What is your position like? Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a big thing where if if they're able to do something to Arakeen and you just lock down the east, that that could be a major win for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Um like there it's it's it is purely it's like around seven, things have gone wrong for everybody else. Oh shoot, look at this perfect opportunity to ally with Harkonnen. That's that's the only really situation I see a super beneficial, super opportunistic, yeah, but yeah. definitely not something to like go in and plan for. Right. All right. Well, that that covers all the alliances. Um, obviously, just the, the the brief overview is you want to you want Benny Gesserit. You'll take Atreides Emperor with Space and Guild and Harkonnen. You might literally be better off doing it on your own and just trying to stall out the game to the end. I yeah. don't know. I, I don't think I want to 100% say that, but in my mind, it's maybe easier to be by yourself and try to hurt everybody for, and keep them from winning than it is to try to ally with one of these two and have it work in your favor. Well, I think that's how... I think that's reflected in the design a little bit, right? Like, I feel like Fremen, they, they realize that, oh, there's like not really a reason for someone to do this by themselves except for i feel like the fremen victory condition because it's so it doesn't sync up with uh really any of the players except for benny jesuit um and so i feel like it's the kind of thing where you're just kind of like all right well i'm gonna just try and do uh, this is my hail mary to try and win in the end by myself basically yeah yeah. um so let's talk about some kind of round one stuff we've been talking about a lot of this uh how, how do you you know stall out the game but we already talked about fremen have um, really the only round one choice that everybody else doesn't have, which is where do we start your, the units? And Hunter, you teased this, um, but let's talk about those three spaces that we can be at, right? We can be at False Wall South, False Wall West, and CH Tabur. Those are the three places we can put our initial 10 units, and we can split them up however we want. Um, the first thing I'll say is ignore False Wall West. That is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not where you need to be. False Wall West is literally within the domain of where you can ship to and is not a stronghold. So I don't know why you need it. Like the the argument obviously is, oh, well, it's near, uh, it's it's near Habanyasich, but you, you can worry about that later. There's just no reason to park all of your stuff in that territory. Right. Uh, so then the argument for CH Tabur is just, I want to get a lockdown on a stronghold now before anybody else can go take it, right? I don't want to just leave it completely empty so that Harkonnen can go jump in there for free. Um, but the last one, False Wall South, this is the only one that is strictly outside of your zone of influence, where you can just drop things. And it's even outside of where you can get to super, super quickly, right? You can, you can ship to the limits... And then move, and uh, False Wall South is like right at the limits. That's as far as you could get. If you shipped to the Polar Sink and then moved to, you would get to False Wall South. So this is your best opportunity to get to this side of the map for free. Right. Because any other time, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to ship there for money or take like multiple rounds to get there. Um, if you ship to False Wall South, you immediately have access to everywhere within two of that. So it's your best chance to get to the spice that might hit that side of the map. 
So the big argument here is you ship all 10 to False Wall South. Then if a spice blow comes up on the other side of the map, you ship the rest of your units somewhere near the Great Flat and go hit the spice on that side. You basically give yourself a better opportunity to get any and all spice in the early game by shipping 10 to False Wall South and being prepared to ship maybe your other 10 units in, you know, the northern or southern side of Great uh, Flat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, False Wall West is just redundant. It's just not, it's just not a spot that you need, basically. Um, so are we all in on all 10 on False Wall South, well, okay, or what's the case for splitting it up? Let's give the case for splitting up. I'm, I'm increasingly of the opinion that I'm all in on just do it, just do False Wall South. But if you're going to put some stuff on CH Tabur, how do you split them up? Okay, well, let's talk about the like 5-5 five, five split. You've just made yourself kind of weak in both. And especially the five on False Wall South are like too far away to be easily reinforced, which means you're really just locking down Siege Tabur. So why did you ship anything to, to False Wall South? So we need to go higher than five, right? So is it like a six, a seven, or an eight sort of situation? Well, if we go above seven, if we're shipping eight to False Wall South and two to Siege Tabur, why did we even ship two to Siege Tabur? Right, our mm-hmm. Harkonnen will just go jump on us. They they could care less about our two. Um, so what I've seen, the best argument I've seen is, and this was uh, given to us in some pre errata by Corbic Jane, uh, is to do six to uh, six to one, six to False Wall South, and four to Ch Tabur, and then put of those six two Fadaiken on False Wall South and one Fadaiken on CH Tabur. So CH Tabur has an acting attacking value of five instead of four, and the False Wall South has an attacking value of eight instead of six, and you can split that False Wall South force up if you need to for spice or whatever. And I I, I don't hate this, basically, is is all I can really come down to on it, is it's like, I I, I see the argument, it's kind of just playing devil's advocate for pushing yourself away from 10, um, and it gives you decent forces on both sides of the map. I don't know, what do you think, Hunter? I think think this is the smartest way to do something that, like, just do it the easy way, you know what I mean? Like, this this is the smartest way you could split them up. I feel like you're kind of needlessly risking uh, Harkonnen having an uncharacteristically good yeah. first round. And it also depends a lot on that first order. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. The first order could be a big determining factor. If you are ve- if you are last in the order, um, I would make an argument that you are that you are more encouraged to put some starting units on CH Tabur, right? Because sure. you don't yeah, yeah. want two other people going there and kind of locking you out of it for a while. Now, again, that argument isn't very strong because you can always ship nearby and go in at some point later. But if you're really wanting to prevent someone from like a round one victory or whatever, or like a round two strength, you could get a couple on Stitch to Burst so that only one other person can go there and you don't you, you keep the battle kind of in your realm. Um, but if you're if you so if you're early in the order though you don't really care about that because you can always just ship and move there before anybody else gets there anyways so you might as well put the ten in false wall south and then ship and move the rest in the ch tuber or ship directly to ch tuber. I would just hate to recommend that you split them up and then you know that that first storm can be so wackadoodle yeah. with the two players that picking on the dial 
right. that there's really no way to predict uh, what that first order... You're going to make this decision, I guess is what I mean, before you know what What's the happening. turn order is going to be. Yeah. So that that is, I think, an issue. And and so I think it, I think the the play of splitting them up, especially the way that Corbeck Jane described... Uh, that's like that kind of thing where you're playing optimally, but maybe uh, playing a bit risky. Um, right. The likelihood that Harkonnen is going to have a better hand than you is really high. Yes. Uh, they also have competitive leaders. Um, and also Harkonnen, sometimes, if the conditions end up being correct, does go for an early game victory or a first round victory. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're pretty much the only faction where we've talked about that as a possibility. So I just feel like you're kind of needlessly risking that. But also, this comes down to, we're really just talking about one player, right? We're just talking about Harkonnen. I mean, right. I guess the only other player that could threaten you is the Emperor, and they have a very specific reason to not threaten you. Um, <laughs> so yeah. if if the if you know the Harkonnen player, and they're like, you don't think they're going to go for this, then whatever. Right. I agree with that. Um, so the other thing you need to do early, and we sort of tease this, but like you have to get cards. Um, so my big thing is you start with three spice. You have nothing else to spend that spice on round one besides a card. So you should plan to get one card that you spend all $3 on. That can even be tricky in some meta. Some people are like, you can't get a card for cheaper than four sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that obviously has its limits, especially around one. Someone's going to get a cheaper card. But you really need to push to make sure you're getting a card round one and, and you just are really hoping it's a good one. Um, I don't know if you can even like find a way to start talking to to Atreides from the get-go and be like, hey, listen, I will let you go take the spice blow if you just tell me which card I need to bid on. Um, but even that's dangerous because the second you start bidding on it, somebody else could, out, you know, most of the table can outbid you. So it's really rough. Basically, you just need to throw three spice at a card and hope you get one round one and, and hope it's a decent one. I, then, I mean, I would say going into it, your best bet as far as getting Atreides uh, to give you that secret information is that you have some secret information as well yeah. when it comes to the way that the storm is going to right. move. Yeah, if, so, it, if the storm is near enough then that it might impact their second round, you, you guys could swap some info and try to get a good card. Or uh, a spice blow, you know what I mean? So yeah. so it's kind of a like, I will show you the the secret storm card if you will show me a card that is useful to me and then let me know, you know, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, so then your other thing round one is you got you have got to jump on wherever those first spices come from um, so that you can get more money to buy more cards round two because you're probably not if if you get a card round one the chances of it being good are just all over the place and so next round you've got to get more cards so you got to get a decent amount of spice um, obviously the main way of doing this is attacking early get it and jumping on the spice and maybe you get there first and other people go it's not worth the fight i don't want to have to put up with stilgar i haven't gotten good cards yet either so not not worth it um or and people talk about this more than hunter and i do this but uh try trading try, try trading try offering up hey i won't go for the spice if you give me spice or vice versa i'll give you one or two of my spice that i didn't end up spending on a card if you let me just go jump on this spice uninhibited mm -hmm. um this is something that a lot of communities talk about, and obviously it is most relevant with Fremen. Spice trading is. Other factions can do it, but because Fremen are kind of always hunting for it, you might need to like develop your skills at learning like how people will work around spice trading with you and whether or not you jump on it and you pay them for the access to it so that they don't try to take it from you right. or vice versa or whatever. There's some stuff in there that it's always going to come down to what your group does. So I can't give you like solid advice there, but... It's something to be on the lookout for. 
I mean, like like we said, we haven't run into it a lot in our own games, but I do see a lot of people talking online of frequently trying to extort the Fremen out of Spice. Yeah. So I would say my advice to you is know when you are in an extortable position or not. Um, if you got a crummy hand of cards, then I think it's time to, you know, get a little socialism in your life and spread the wealth around, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you feel like it's a bluff or you feel like you could take them in a fight, uh, then I don't know. Go for it. Uh, let's talk about these. Uh, let's talk about these weaknesses that Fremen has, of which there are many. We've harped on it a lot. Your many times, hands, yeah. Bad, yeah, bad. Your hand. early hand sucks, uh, and you've got to get it better. Um, but the bigger thing is, it's really hard to find allies, and winning alone can be tricky. Winning with allies can be tricky. It's kind of just a tricky game for Fremen. They, mm-hmm. They're they're not. It's not easy to do stuff. I would say the only thing that I think really improves your chances is that Benny Gesserit relationship. Yeah. Uh, because you have a, such a clear path. Everything else is just like a, man, I can hope, I hope I can make it work. Man, I hope it, it just like everything will work out in such a way that I come out on top of this. But so much of your game is, is taking the chances on pushing for that fight, pushing for the spice and seeing what you can do. Um, it's, it's a rough life out there for the sand people. Um, and the, the, the last one is your, your cheap, option to get on the map means it can be tricky to afford getting on the west side when you need it so the 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 thing there being like you you have access to one side of the map really easily and it makes it really hard to justify ever going to the other side of the map Mm -hmm. um and and that's something that i think especially early on that's something newer players struggle with is like we you just never see fremen get on the other side of the map and i think figuring out really uh reliable ways to put yourself in those positions um will help you learn how to play a better Fremen. Is like, how do I make sure I'm not only focusing on Siege Tabur and Habanya Siege all game? I don't need to only be doing that. How can I kind of get out on the rest of the map so that I'm not missing out on any spice ever? I'm getting the message, Matt. Uh, they're crummy, don't play them. But <laughs> I get it. But let's say let's say we had to play them. How right. do we win? How do we, how do we sew this up? somehow and make this work well i think the first thing we have to sort of rely on is that we're probably going to be alone getting an alliance is going to be kind of tricky for us uh so if you are alone you are always looking to stall the game out i think a fremen trying to lock down three territories is a fairly big ask uh now this this couldn't be offset by if you do ship those 10 first ones to false wall south and then you get pretty good positions on the eastern uh strongholds you you could find a situation where you get into it but i don't suspect you're going to find a win by going for carthag or Arakeen on your own and then holding two other territories i think you you need too much to take either of those so your your mission is stall the game out until some other sort of opportunity arises, right? You are just there to get spice and prevent everyone else from winning until there's a really cool round that you can actually turn something into a victory this round. But beyond that, your whole MO is like, nope, let's just let's get to the end of round 10 mm-hmm. and let me keep the people off of the three territories I need to keep them off of. I mean, I you really only need to do it at the end, right? So, I mean... I feel like in that right, one, it's true. more about gathering spice and letting the other players wear each other down while keeping yourself very fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to stay out of conflict, basically. Just kind of slowly build up and be ready uh, to kind of blitz at the end. And I think hope generally that everybody else wears 
themselves down and trying to avoid having to um, intervene unless someone is absolutely going to win. Um, I do feel like, though, like you are probably going to end up with some option for an alliance. So I would say, um, you know, obviously take everything me and Matt say really, really seriously. But uh, in the alliance section... You know, we outlined a lot of like, oh, that's crummy. That one's crummy. This one's crummy right. for this reason. This one's crummy for that reason. But remember, at the end of the day, uh, if 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 having an ally is going to help you win, even if none of the abilities apply, it's still probably worth that versus going for the kind of very easily ruined special victory condition. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. it's it's such a specific ask of the victory that I feel like it would be misleading to say like, oh, like, yeah, you should just start planning. Because, I mean, I just feel like it'd be hard to plan for, too. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I-, I like your point of you only have to worry about those specific territories at the end, right? Yes. Just keep everybody else from winning. And then in like the last two rounds, set up a situation where the factions you don't want in certain spots aren't in those certain spots. I think that is an attainable goal. Um, and with certain alliances, and it wholly depends on what alliance you're in, you can accomplish those other things too, right? Yes. Um, and, and I think all of your alliance are purely territory-based uh, of how, how you uh, go for them, right? So if, if, if you ally with Harkonnen or uh, Treides, you're probably going to focus on Habanya Siech, Siech and Tuix Siech, or uh, yeah, Habanya Siech and Tuix Siech, and you're gonna let them mess with Siech Tabur and their home territory, right? You're you're gonna let them go for the north, and you're gonna go for the south, right? But then when you have Benny Gesserit, it's like you shift the whole thing ninety degrees. <laughs> now you're worrying about the east, and Benny Gesserit is gonna worry about the west. Um, so it's it is all wholly dependent on which alliance you're in, how you orient your two main things, which is kind of the bigger reason why like you need to figure out what where you need to put your units you know you're going to put a big stack of units somewhere it is better to figure that out as early as possible so you're trying to ally early i just don't know how much success you'll have in like the first nexus getting an ally yeah 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 it's gonna it's gonna be rough i feel like we've given you some data you can use to make some cases like i think that benny jeseret case that could that could work for somebody sometime, just depending on how things are shaken out. It also depends on how many rounds we get in to before the first Nexus. Um, so, I mean, I would say early game, stay open, but maybe don't like risk things uh, right. so that maybe by the time a, me- a Nexus comes around, you might look like you might look like you're doing better than everybody else. I just feel like in general, Fremen is not a like hit the ground running and start telling people who's boss. It's kind of a like we stay out in the desert and we collect spice when we can, and we play nice until we can kind of get. It's like the Sardak Nor of yeah. of uh, Dune, it's where true. it's like you kind of start at a disadvantage, so you need to be a, a nice neighborhood fremen, and then yeah. before you know, and then make it where before they can really do anything about you, it's too late. Yeah. Um, also, though, get blue eye contacts so that you can <laughs> role play the fremen correctly. Because they have blue, kind of glowy water eyes that and are, ride that cool. worm and baby. ride the worm, ride baby. The worm. Yeah, and and if you can buy, um, you know, watch the uh, David Lynch Dune yep. adaptation, which is I think we've been on the record in saying it's very good, and that we don't need another one. <laughs> and one of the best things that David Lynch decided to do with the Fremen 
uh, costumes, if you look yeah. at David Lynch's Fremen costumes, they make a lot of sense because they look <laughs> like something you'd wear in the desert, and they definitely right. don't look like something you would wear to like a goth dungeon party <laughs> that was designed by H.R. Giger. All right, with that, let's uh, let's hit up some errata. <laughs> uh, we gotta do, we gotta do the Spacing Guild errata, uh, and. Uh, I've only got one major note in here. Uh, Hunter, turns out we freaking nailed it. We freaking nailed it with the space. Oh, Eagle. hashtag nailed it. Hashtag nailed it. Um, but uh, if there's one thing uh, that's kind of a fun, interesting note with Space and Guild, and honestly, this ties even more into Fremen, but NBSP1618 uh, had this to say, and I saw them kind of harping on this on, on a few different conversations, but this was a point about the Space and Guild alliance with the Fremen. It's a strong play for Spacing Guild to use the Fremen to lock down one side of the map, just being a pain to everyone else. They sacrifice their troops to get ever, uh, other players feeding the tanks. Then, late in the game, you break the alliance and take what you need to finish the game for yourself. Basically, everyone can do this with Fremen. Uh, NBSP basically has this working theory about uh, forming alliances with the sole intent to break them that being mm -hmm. part of your strategy of the alliance now obviously this is a risky thing because you you can only break that alliance if the nexus comes up and you don't get to control the timing of that right but it's still an interesting idea and especially with the fremen of uh you know you you might not have that many long-term gains with the fremen but you can ally with the fremen send them out to go do a bunch of fighting they kind of lose a bunch of stuff to the tanks and then it's like all right i'm piecing out now now that you've done all my dirty work for me i'm gonna go uh take all of the weak territories you've just set up for myself because i get to ship wherever i want for free not for free but half price and uh you know just go win by myself as immediately after breaking the alliance or i switch into some other stronger alliance but there's kind of a benefit to abusing <laughs> the fremen alliance which is funny that we're talking about this in the fremen episode right hey look out for that fremen <laughs> yeah, players that yeah. other people are just using you and then planning to break their alliance with you and have no intent of winning the game with you yeah no no i maybe maybe we should just change the whole guide to be like don't ally with anyone don't no ally, one is trustworthy don't, don't trust them <laughs> don't believe their lies <laughs> All right, and that's it for the errata. That's how much we I, I, I redeemed myself from my big uh, Harkonnen <laughs> mistake. <laughs> Whatever. There's always going to be one. There's, There's always, always going to be one. There's always one major goof. All right, it's time to shift gears, Hunter. We're out of Dune. We're not in outer space anymore. Now we're now we're in outer space with Twilight Imperium. Uh, we've got some more tournament updates. Did you just for say you we're we're not in outer space yeah, anymore? Sure we're in outer space. That was my bit. Uh, so I don't even understand what that what you mean by that. <laughs> I don't even see how that's a bit. Anyways, the tournament has been going on, and we've got some updates for y'all. Um, we're going to start with uh, game 19, first game. Well, we, we can kind of do these back and forth, Matt. Uh, we're just going to go through them real sure. fast. There's a lot of information here, but we are yeah. going to we're gonna pound it into your brain. Um, game 19, nope, shut up, no laughing. Uh, we're, we're, doing, we're doing it. Game 19, the winner was Rolo, the Ledgerman of the Cones, <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing as Barony in Gashfather. Um, common combination. Yeah, um, weirdly, I mean, it's one. It's, that's one of the storylines of the yeah. of, of the slice. Yeah. Um, I made an early deal to give Wellen to Choclax, who was playing as L one, in return for his ceasefire. Meanwhile, Rafflemeister, who was playing as Sardak, and I maintained fairly friendly relations as well. So I had friendly neighbors on both sides. For the most part, I was the friendly barony. 
but I really pushed it with Chocolax. In the mid-game, I made a surprise attack on Abyss Freya. He had Wellen, but no ships above it. So I flew right over and took Abyss Freya so I could score corner the market with Mir, Zobat, Abyss, and Freya. I would go on to, a keep, to keep Abyss and Freya for another round. He didn't like it, but he wasn't in a position to take it back with force. Ooh, so f- what a friendly barony. Mm-hmm. So relations remained icy between us. But again, I had his ceasefire, and that was something. Overall, Vision S, playing as Ghost, uh, one of our moderators, uh, our, our best, our, our moderator that's done the most work for us, and yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone uh, needs to thank her every single time her name comes up, so thank you, Vision S. Uh, Vision S and I had a number of disagreements about who was the biggest threat at the table and who needed to be kept, most kept in check. I uh, Soul took Mechatol Rex fairly early, which in my mind made him the problem to address. But Vision S was involved in a protracted border war with Isarl, in which Thibba went back and forth between them. She argued that while Soul appeared threatening, these things have a way of going to the surprise behind the the surprise from behind candidate, who she thought was Isarl. When public execution came up, that was a heated debate. But in the end, Isarl was the target and was publicly executed. But Visioness still wanted Isarl out of Thibba and out of contention. So during the mid-game, I forgot which round, Visioness, Choclax, and I had a secret conversation in which we formed a coalition to break the backs of both Isarl and Sol. They would hurt Sol, and I would hurt Isarl, although my heart wasn't in it since Isarl wasn't leading on the score track. This was a partnership of convenience. (laughs) Friendly. Friendly barony. Okay. (laughs) I used the Creus IFF to get into the empty space right above Turtle's Paradise, and I took Shellock. I freely admitted that hostilities between us would cease if Isarl ceded Thibba to Vision S. I'm just a hired gun here. My employer wants you out of Thibba now. That sort of thing. Vision S and Choclax held up their end of the bargain as well, and going into the late game, both Soul and Isarl were adequately punished, although Soul still had a good shot, as good a shot as anyone. In the mid-game, I wasn't sure where my... This was the early game? What? <laughs> In the mid-game, I wasn't sure where my, where my points were going to come from, but the agenda deck delivered. Over the course of a couple of rounds, two things happened. Judicial abolishment came up, while we had only one law in play. Since there was no way that law wasn't going to win, I played Imperial Rider. Oh my God, I hate that. Yeah, isn't that the That's worst? the number one thing I hate. <laughs> I played Imperial Rider on it for the for sure thing point. What? I wish I could delete that sentence. This brought me to six points. Round five. I was keeping pace with the pack point-wise, but I was un- but I was still able to argue fairly successfully that, th- that the table had bigger fish to fry. I took politics, figuring next round would be the last, but I was at six points. I was dirt poor and was desperate to score, sway the council for my seventh point. I would need five trade goods to make up the difference. So when I popped politics, I offered speaker to my right, but he couldn't meet my price. I took a risk and off- offered it one more spot to my right, to the Sorrel and Turtles. He declined. Ah, well, I took a huge risk and would sell the speaker to- <laughs> I would sell the speaker token three spots to the right to Vision S in Brudder, who took the deal. That's so wild. Yeah. Uh, going into the final round, I would pick fourth, but I knew that if I didn't score Sway the Council in round five, I had no shot. Now, that is good... That's good brain right there. Um, At least picking fourth, there was hope. And I also knew something else. When I looked at the agenda deck, Shard of the Throne was in there. I made it the second agenda. So at the end of round five, I scored Sway the Council for my seventh point. 
and then Shard of the Throne came up. There was a good deal of talk over who would take the Shard and keep it safe. In the end, the votes forced Visioness into choosing between me and Sol. I'm sure she hated that choice, but I was the lesser of two evils, I guess. I won the Shard for my eighth point. Everyone was coming together for me. Revolutionary, revolutionized warfare was where the game ended. This put several players, including myself, in striking distance of the win, as long as someone took technology. Classic prisoner's dilemma. No one wants to take tech with its seventh-placed initiative order. So we're all hope, hoping someone else will. To complicate things, Rafflemeister has public disgrace, and we all know it. Isarl had seen as much. Uh, tense strategy phase in which we're all trying to map out who should take what. Despite choosing fourth, I was able to get Diplo. Rafflemeister allowed it. Rafflemeister took tech. I spent my first action bringing all the fleets home. I could not lose a battle or I'd lose the shard. My home had five dread twos and it was my only system. I was as hunkered down as I'd get. Now the table would work together, taking turns to pummel my home system, hoping someone could win a fight and take the shard for me. Choclax went first. He was able to damage several of my dreads before I realized my mistake. Oh my God, I didn't need to be fighting this fight. I had his ceasefire, remember? Why did I allow this fight to happen? No, (laughs) this would be the mistake that would haunt me for the next year. But the dice gods forgave my foolishness and smiled upon me. I was able to hold off Choclax's attack. Then I was barely able to hold hold off Visioness's attack that followed. I popped Diplo and my win was locked in. I won despite an 11th hour mistake that made my stomach sink. Whew. Whew. That was a good that was story. A long one. Thank yeah. you, Rolo. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got game 21, which is a win by Connor in uh, as L1Z1X in Daddy Warbucks. And here's Connor's write-up. Really tight, well-played game across the table. In particular, I want to highlight that Mentak and Mulmaganker played a fantastic game, as did Necro, who nearly had the win before making a couple small mistakes under five-player pressure at the end. He managed to be in a position to win despite a non-ideal slice and a consistent plastic problem. They did some great work trading with each other and helped build each other up, but I was generally preoccupied with my side of the table, so you'd be able to get more complete picture from them. Vaunt was in a tough spot as the Yin Brotherhood in the best one, which we all knew had several wins i gave barony my support for the throne for nothing other than a go that way and let me pay you for losing the support if you attack him vaunt successfully got an early support swap uh first one of the game with barony uh data monk Barony was kind of paralyzed with supports to both neighbors and kept on picking trade in order to build up cash flow while trying to keep the points. It helped that we didn't have that many control objectives come out. However, Necro eventually moved to blockade the dock over Barragler to four with Mentax's tactical support, and we were able to talk Barony into blockading the Yin's home system, effectively taking Vaunt out of the game for a turn or two. So our, one of our poor finalists being a targeted harassment uh, in, in yet another game. However, Barony didn't follow up and take Vaunt's planets, instead negotiating to support swap again and being paid to leave. Extras sat back in Turtles Paradise and kept scoring objectives and using Quash uh, to threaten control of the agenda phase. Going into the final round, we had the extra objective agenda come out and the objective uh, was able to force it to be a two-pointer that nobody really had much of a shot at. Conquer the week for 11 planets. Uh, uh, so... Prior to that, it was likely that Mentak and I were the only ones in range that round. Mentak grabbing Imperial with me with a shot at conquering 11 non-home planets. Um, and the scored three techs skip objective, the two mech points. Boy, there's all kinds of things in here. Um, but uh, basically, 
I'm, I'm losing track of the story here. Uh, <laughs> the two mech points I scored basically won me the game by allowing late game flexibility. Personally, uh, I think that in Warbucks, it's a bit of a must to grab Mechatol in order to have the influence needed to pay for a complete game. I agree with that. That's a very good point. Yeah. However, I'm not sure I could have dealt with the sustained table attack to hold on to uh, an objective if that two-pointer hadn't come out to distract folks. I really thought I'd messed my win condition in the previous round. I'd been going for an Imperial win on round five, but missed my win by screwing up a couple of non-binding negotiations and some timing. Basically, I needed to snag a support point on the previous agenda phase to win, but because Vaunt and Datamunk were able to reignite their deal even after Datamunk stabbed him in the back, I wasn't able to talk Data into giving me a support for leaving his territory. I'd scored threatened enemies next to his home world and Gashfather in revenge for his failure to follow up on our non-biting support swap. That's in quotes. Uh, and after being uh, after being paid by Vaunt to go do so, he'd offer me a support once he activated Data Monk and given me trade goods for the moment. Phew! Uh, due to command token economy, I wasn't able to stall out on my move until after Vaunt activated data and therefore was forced to move forward prior to receiving the support, letting them both understandably refusing to give me the point given my strong position. Uh, I had political stability and three sabotages were burned, but I wasn't able to get extra to exhaust their sabotage, and they, of course, sabotaged it, leaving me fourth in speaker order going into that crazy agenda phase and wondering how I could stop the table from dogpiling me. Honestly, I got lucky on this end. I was able to convince extra that they needed to be able to stop barony and had to take warfare, allowing me to take diplomacy, and I committed to spending the command counters so I couldn't score that objective. This left Mentak at seven with Imperial going into the final round, Necro with with eight and leadership, extra with warfare at eight, uh, and me with nine as Diplo, uh, Barony at eight with politics, I believe, and Vaunt with six attack. So the final turn, the table, or at least Vaunt and Zap, the extra player, and I worked together to s try and stop Necro and Mentak um, before the Imperial win. Necro ended up losing one of their two supports when they activated their home system to build after Extra warfared off the token to hit it again. It was late and we were all making mistakes. This left me in the best position with Mentax still having a shot, but they hadn't developed enough board reach to be able to pull it out, leaving me to fend off Barony and Extra, but holding a massive plastic advantage and plenty of command counters. I easily scored my secret to win. However, the path getting there was a lot of luck after that third second pointer came out, it was anyone's game. So Connor, uh, playing a tough game, lots of crazy maneuvering, but obviously uh, willing to admit that some luck has to go your way to, to pull out all the stops in the final round. Yeah, and that is, that's so Connor. He's actually one of my students from the dojo, and I, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've trained him up. Uh, this is actually one of the one of the main things that I taught him was to employ these types of uh, strategies. Um, so I, I will... Uh, Wonderful I will job. Yeah, yes, I did a good job. Uh, even though I don't remember actually playing any dojo games <laughs> with, with Connor, for sure. I mean, I may have. I, 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 you I'm, still taught them everything they know. I taught Connor everything he knows, um, which is kind of a coincidence because we're going to talk about game 22 now. Um, your winner was Boltron, also one of my students. My students wow. are cleaning up, basically. <laughs> they've all... They've all been they've been watching me, and they learn from from watching a master play. Um, so Boltron is the winner. Uh, he was playing as L one uh, in Gashfather, so another L one win. This one, yep. this write up is uh, a, 
a little bit shorter. Um, well, so this, this one, we have to give some credit here. Space Lawyer has become our field reporter, and yeah. going forward, he's been out uh, hitting up everybody in every game and putting together much more condensed versions of these things. Uh, so th this is due to Space Lawyer's hard work and helping us get more write-ups uh, for these games. So thank you so much, Space Lawyer. Yeah, our like official jur journalist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, denying and hopping on and off Mechatol, a shard and a holy planet, and a foreseeable win for L1 by wheeling and dealing with everyone. Um, Extra like was denied. Yeah. yeah, that's the tag. Okay, I see. Yeah, it's, so it's, it is like, it's like a New York Times thing. Uh, <laughs> Extra was denied getting to Mechatol and the, and the custodian point by getting his flank speed sabotaged by Sol. Ooh, that's juicy. Um, Yin taking Mechatol and custodians, then Warfares off of Mechatol Rex because of a deal with L1, letting Soul take Mechatol Rex, who put a PDS down to save him from an L1 invasion with three Super Dreads. Ixthian Artifact gives two tech to each player, six tokens to Necro. Necro was targeted by some agendas, Wormhole Research, with the Alistair over Lodor, managed to dodge that by putting Politics Rider and Galactic Threat on it. Demilitarized Zone on Lodor with a huge stack of infantry, two hot potato points out, Shard hopped only a few times and ended up where it started, uh, the, <laughs> those hops, with Necro. Uh, Holy Planet of Ix bounced around all game. Yin worked hard on getting a swing round for the win, but was relentlessly denied Imperial. Round five, at least 15 secret conversations wow. took place, leading to a three-hour round. <laughs> three-hour round? Uh, Are you serious? That's half of my game. A Lord today. of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring <laughs> length round? <laughs> Anyways, uh, three-hour three round where several people, Soul, L1, and Necro, were stopped from winning slash scoring. Many of those conversations were initiated by a very dealy L1. In the end, L1 won with a Diplode home system and enough influence to buy five tokens to score Galvanize the People in round six. Uh, that, was, yeah, was a... that was a very condensed story of an entire game. That is yeah. like super impressive. I know I didn't read it that well, <laughs> but it's I did not realize that it was actually going to cover the whole game in Just a paragraph. Like that is amazing. Yeah, he's killing it over here. Uh, and we've got another one from him uh this is for game 23 uh this was a win by an, an asaro player our first asaro win in Gashfather, and i'm gonna first pronounce this incorrectly but i've been given the correct pronunciation of this name but i think mine is better it's spelled m-m-r-n-m-h-r-m so i'm gonna go ahead and call it um that's my guess on how that name is pronounced but apparently it is actually Mernmerm or Merman Herman. Um, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. <laughs> uh, but this, this is what uh, Space Lawyer has to us about uh, their, their wins. Uh, our tagline here is, Mistakes were made. Yin flew too close to the sun. A sorrow wins by doing a sorrow things and having the stars aligned in just the right way. Uh, so here's the story. Uh, Yin... TG Welch uh, started the game hot, running, uh, getting Mechatol and an early lead out of Daddy Warbucks in an attempt to stop a runaway victory. Uh, the Barony player, Gamblor, successfully invaded Yin's home system in round five by winning the ground combat with one surviving infantry. Uh, Barony also takes Yin's other space dock out on a biz by going through the gravity rift with a dreadnought and survived. Yin threw everything he had back at his home system, failing to take it back by a really unlucky die roll one hit 
out of 14 dice. Disgusting. Besides the action in Yin's home system, players made some really funny mistakes, which are haunting them, I guess. <laughs> this is based <laughs> off of their reports. For example, a player activated a home system produce, but forgot to play trade before, and they had no resources, oh, which left no. them nothing to build, leaving him without any new plastic for the next round. Another player did think they had anti-mass, which they did not have, and activated somewhere he could only get to with anti-mass, burning another command counter. Um, the same player forgot to use transit diodes to reinforce two empty planets, and his support for the throne partner was able to uh, snack those planets off of him without losing the support. In the end, Asarl took a classic Asarl victory. They used Magion to get in the silence of space. They stalled everybody out. When everybody passed, they attacked and invaded Sardak's home system by using flank speed and in the silence of space to score Conquer the Weak and win with Form a Spy Network by Aww. discarding five action cards, which he had, of course... From the, I don't know if it was from the start of the game, but had. Uh, Fate was also kind to Asarl since he needed his flagship, Carrier 2, and Gravity Drive to be able to score Conquer the Week and a scorable secret to seal the deal. He drew Form a Spy Network off of Imperial, uh, the best secret for Asarl, and got all that he needed from the last agenda and his action cards. Swords to Plowshares gave him trade goods to build the flagship. Technology Rider gave him Gravity Drive and f and a focused researched action card together with the trade goods from Swords to Plowshares let him research Carrier 2. Only because of these circumstances was were they able to invade Sardak's home system successfully. And of course, a fighter prototype and a morale boost helped to secure the win. So, Asarl very much doing Asarl things. That's very cool. That, that that what a wild game. I remember when that game was going on. Pe people were like murmuring that like T.G. Welch was running away with it. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, and we love we love T.G. Welch. We love playing with him. He's a great guy. Yeah, um, yeah. But Sad yeah, to this, see him go. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He I mean, have been I would a say, contender. <laughs> I would say overall the storyline of, and I'm excited about this by the way. I'm yes, not bringing this yeah, up yeah. as if it's a downer. But a lot of the people that we are familiar with, that we know, the kind of yeah. known factors got bounced out of the prelims <laughs> like if yeah. you if you yeah, know us unknowns. it's gonna be new personalities going into this these semis for right sure. right uh so yeah it's uh it's it's exciting uh, i'm i'm gonna be really excited about the semifinals getting to know a lot of new players a lot of new faces and then of course magi magi could not <laughs> he just couldn't stay out you know what i mean he, he was just like way. nope i get i get the trend is that all of the known factors are gonna get bounced out and he was like absolutely not i'm not going to <laughs> all right right after hunter and i finished we had to we actually had to stop recording so now i'm doing the rundown by myself which means it's gonna be a quick rundown uh, hi, everybody. It's Matt from Sword of the Future. Uh, I want to thank all of our patrons and everybody on the Discord for being a part of uh, the community. It's super, super fun. And all of our patrons uh, for contributing to the show. Uh, tournament entrance. Uh, there's been scheduling emails out. If you have not had a game scheduled and you expected yourself to be in the tournament, please check your email. Uh, if you... Uh, if you don't see the email, uh, look in your spam folder. If you don't see it in your spam folder, please email me. I would like to know what's going on. Uh, but we want to get you in games. I've got like sort of three games left to schedule. I have a handful that are like theoretically scheduled, but I haven't penciled them in yet. I haven't sent out the emails. So don't freak out if you haven't received, you know, that final game scheduling email yet, but they should be coming very, very soon. Uh, if you are in the Galactic Council, we have a vote coming up for our next Galactic Council episode. We're either doing a Dune review, our review of the Dune board game, or we're doing Hunters and my uh, prelim elite tournament strats, uh, whatever that means to you or us. I don't know what it means yet. I guess I have to start coming up with how I would play if I ever played in a tournament. 
Uh, we also have our Oath thoughts, what we're thinking about the game Oath that we've been playing uh, for the past few weeks uh, with from Leader Games. Uh, it's been super fun, but I can't give you away all the thoughts yet. You have to vote on that episode. Uh, also, we've got the Hakan versus Mentak option, which is a, a essentially similar to our Soul versus Yin episode from a few months ago. Uh, it's where we take two... Um, factions that relate to a pretty similar mechanic and then when they're in the game together it really kind of throws a, a new dynamic into the into the storyline of that game so we wanted to break down what does it look like when Hakan and Mentak are both in the game you know how does trade explode so that's those are your options if you're in the Galactic Council get in there and vote uh, next week we will dwindle all of those choices down to two and then we'll do another like week or two or something like that of voting on just two remaining options speaking of two remaining options we only have two remaining options left for the Hunter Donaldson fan club game that's going on next Friday so if you want to uh, see that game it's going to be Friday the 21st of February and uh, your options are either a game on the rough draft of the semis map that I actually posted on the discord yesterday for people to start testing so if you want to see what could potentially be the semis map or sort of what the semis map might look like it is on the discord and you can also tune into that game uh, i can already tell you this much that the map that is currently out there will 100 percent change i already have some changes in mind that are minor little tweaks but i need to get more data i need to figure out what you know how how people actually play on these things you can't just theory craft a map it, it's a, it's super super helpful to get games on it so please Maybe stick around for that, or Hunter might hop on the bandwagon of the TI Franken draft. Uh, they, there's a whole group of people that play Franken every single Friday, uh, so it's either a game on the semis map or a Franken draft game with Hunter next week. I want to thank all of our producers and partners, which we, uh, that's what we call our Space Kitties and Weird Bears. Uh, our Weird Bears, I want to thank Ponchadori, Fargonis, and TG Welch. And our Space Kitties, I want to thank Naderade's Patience is a Virtue, Umar, Fyroso, Julian, Rwise, Necro Firewall, and Kraken. Uh, also, on the Twitch and YouTube side of things, uh, we just finished getting the Oath series up on YouTube. So there's three episodes of that on our YouTube, and there's actually one more episode of that over on the Leader Games YouTube of us playing four different games of Oath. And so if you want to see the whole series play out over the, you know, the course of basically an arc, we tried to make it a one consistent storyline. We called it Season Zero. Uh, we want to do Oath again in the future, but uh, episode... I guess three on our channel, technically the fourth game, uh, was our season finale. I did air quotes there. Uh, so if you want to check that out, uh, please please go watch those games. They're, they're a little bit different than TI. We, we get a little bit weirder, and we're not doing nearly as much... Um, strategic insights into the game i guess i don't know we we very much lean into the theme of that game uh, and, ha and have a lot of fun with it uh also uh i just this last sunday started a game of uh franken draft myself i just kind of randomly picked up a game of franken and i didn't actually get to finish it which is why we're probably not going to put that game up on youtube but if you want to watch the first half of it it's on our twitch and then when i left uh actually vision s uh, one of our moderators took over the stream. She was also playing in the game. So if you want to see the second half of that game, go to twitch.tv slash visions. That's V-I-S-I-O-N-E-S-S. -S. So you can kind of see the whole game if you <laughs> jump between the two different uh, Twitches. Uh, but it was it was a fun game. It was really ridiculous. Uh, I was trying to keep my salt levels intact. And then I got 
sandwiched between two players that very much wanted to poke the bear and uh, you know bring out all the salt in me. So it was me restraining myself as best as I possibly could, and hopefully I did an okay job. Uh, finally, you can rate us on Apple Pod- uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Uh, please give us a five-star rating. It helps increase visibility and gets more people to know about these games that we love so that we have more people to play the games with. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at SpaceCatsPod. You can find us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles, and uh, there should be a link in the description of this for uh, a link to our discord where you can get involved in all the different conversations that are going on right now it's a really fun time of year to be on the discord because there's so much going on with the patreon tournament there's always updates of any games that are ongoing and people theory crafting right now since the semis map was just posted there's all kinds of theory crafting on what could happen on the semis map so just lots of fun twilight imperium conversations lots of fun dune and root and oath conversations on there as well so please come join us won't you Won't you come join us? Thanks for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Brian Capillus for the use of his music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. The spice must flow.